And thank you all for giving. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Jude with me, please. And uh, for those of you who aren't in sword drill mode, Jude is right before Revelation. So go to the end of the Bible, turn Revelation, and Jude is right there. It's one page. I love the book of Jude, and um, I, I marvel at this book for so many reasons, <clears throat> because um, one of them is that it's such a short book. There's only one, one chapter, and Jude was writing this, most, um, most scholars believe that it was written shortly before Jerusalem fell to the Romans in um, AD 69. And um, so somewhere in that latter period, and you can imagine um, what kind of turmoil and what kind of chaos was going on in the city, and especially among the church there in Jerusalem during that time frame. You know, the crucifixion of Christ had been accomplished sometime in the early 30s, so it had been several decades since that point and since Pentecost. Um, and, um, you know, there, there are some historians, modern historians, who suggest that God gave a warning to the early church at least a year or two prior to when the Roman legion came and destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, took the uh, took the the riches of the temple back to Rome and used that to build the Colosseum. It's very interesting to see that if you go to Rome and you look over one of the one of the archways, it plainly says this was from the um, the proceeds of the last campaign in Judea. And they actually have Roman soldiers carrying the menorah and lots of other artifacts that were known there in the temple. So it was a very chaotic time. Uh, there were a lot of people that were rising up, sects of the Jews that were really trying to do whatever they could to eradicate Rome. And there are some modern historians, as I began to say, who said that the early church was warned about this and told to move out of the city um, several miles away. And I'm not talking about some of the more um, prominent places where, you know, a lot of Jews um, found in their fortress, Masada. But it's, it's interesting that there is the strong belief based upon some historical understandings that this did happen. And there was a prophecy that said, get out of here because this city is going to be destroyed soon. But the point is, is that Jude lived during those times. And um, he was very concerned, as you read through this, that the church was missing the true callings that God had given to them. Um, I think the humility of Jude is very clear here, because it starts by saying in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, 
almost exclusively, the understanding is that James, the pastor of that church there, was a brother of Jesus. Jude was also a brother of Jesus. And I find it very interesting that here in the probably most likely in the late 60s, Jude was identifying himself as a servant of Jesus and as a brother of James. In other words, he had found and accepted what God had called him to be. You can imagine, if you were actually a brother of Jesus, if you grew up in that household and you had the Blessed Virgin as a mother, uh, you know, what would that person be doing today? I mean, they would have ambition. They'd be saying, oh, you know what? Jesus had more than one brother. Come and hear the brother of Jesus named Jude. Well, you don't find that here. You find Jude saying, I'm a servant of the Lord. And for those of you who know my more, uh, my more famous brother over these last couple of decades, James, the one who's pastoring this, I'm his brother. Very interesting. And I, I think that statement alone gives me such an admiration for Jude. Because in life, it's so difficult to accept what God has given you to be. Ambition and pride and the desire to be noticed permeates so much of the church and it destroys so much of what God wants our army of saints to really be. And so you begin right off by seeing that Jude is just committing himself to what role he had been fulfilling. Now, you also notice if you studied the Bible that what Jude writes in a section of what Jude writes is very, very similar to a section of 2 Peter. Why is that significant? It's not that they plagiarized one another. I think that if you are a cornerstone, the Apostle Paul wrote about Jude and said that he was a pillar in the church. If you devote yourself to being a pillar and not a pedestal, you devote yourself to being a pillar and not a foundation, you devote yourself to being a pillar and not a podium, then your objective is to strengthen the church and to make sure that whatever you know God has called you to do to, to see that it's functioning, that is a rare gift. And Peter was known within the church. You know, Jesus called him a rock. Um, but it's interesting that Peter, after he went to Cornelius' house, he came to the Council of Jerusalem to give explanation to James and to the other elders that were there. So it's very obvious that Peter never put on the papal hat and said, I'm the boss. I mean, you can look at the book of Acts and find out that he submitted himself to what God had called him to do, and he, he honored what James was, and he honored the brethren. And it was that famous line, how could I be disobedient to the heavenly vision? The Spirit came on us there at Cornelius' house just like it did at the beginning, but he was submitting himself to the position that God had put him in. You see those traits of humility and embracing what God has called you to do and to be that is so important for what the kingdom should be. 
And in fact, that understanding is a, is a line that goes through this very brief book, and we're just going to bullet point them here in just a moment. The 25 verses, you see that commitment to what God has called you to be, not putting on airs, even though you may have a genealogical right to trumpet that, to submit that what God has called you to be, to find that place and be faithful in it. Now, I want you to see two things here at the beginning of what we're saying. Uh, verse 3, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was also needful for, for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, this is important. And I, I submit to you that Jude had obviously written some other writings there in the church to tell people about what it meant to be born again. The common salvation. Common means what it is now. Common, grassroots. Well, you know, what is essential just to function. And he said that I gave all diligence to write, and that is an active imperative, which means that I, I think from that language that Jude had made it his mission to continue to instruct and exhort the church as to the sacrifice that his brother and that all of their elder brothers had offered at Calvary, and that that they should embrace those things that the Last Supper really personified, and that they should know how to walk as believers. That's the common salvation. That was, I believe, what, Job's, what Jude's mission was. But then he says, I found it needful for me to write to you and exhort you beyond the common salvation concerning contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. And that's what this short book is about, and that's undoubtedly why this book survived. This narrow letter of Jude, where he enunciates the need to be saintly, the need to rise out of commonality and do things that are exploits for the kingdom. This is what Jude is is writing about. And if you study anything at all about church history, you remember that several of the councils in the early hundreds A.D. argued about which books and which letters were actually true, you know, which were anointed. And Jude was always in the crosshairs because it was so short. But somehow those early church fathers said, we're going to keep this because this is anointed. You know, sometimes you see on the Smithsonian Channel or History Channel, we've uncovered the missing letter of Thomas. We've uncovered this letter that they say is written by Mary. And everybody goes, oh, wow. Well, there were dozens of these letters floating all over the place, and a lot of them were not only, not only apocryphal, they were just bilge water. And they were rejected. They were written to try to, to gain a following. And just because some person finds a dried-up parchment doesn't mean that it was anointed. That They were rejected early on. The Gospel of Thomas was rejected early on. And, and so, but Jude survived. And then when Luther was trying to determine, and he had his counsel, uh, we're going to make the Scriptures available to 
the common man, and we're going to reject a lot of these apocryphal things. There was an argument about Jude. There was an argument even about certain other very powerful por portions. But even in the, in, the late in the 1500s, they said this book is anointed by God. And, and it's good because Jude is really writing to the church that was established in the common faith that they needed to be saintly. And even the greeting that he gives here, verse 2, normally the greetings that we've studied is grace, mercy, and peace. That's the normal greeting to the churches. What's Jude write? Mercy, peace, and agape be multiplied. Because the saint does not need to be reminded that you should be moving forward in grace. What the saint needs to be reminded is you've got to keep receiving directive from God, which is what mercy is. That's why the mercy seat where God communicated to Moses and the high priest, that was attended to by angels. The mercy seat was a place where God expounded his plan. Mercy is receiving directive from God. That's how Jude begins his greeting. And then he says, your objective, peace, is always your objective. You're going to gain victory. You're going to gain victory. And those two things are going to keep you flowing in the agape of God. Very interesting greeting that Jude writes here. Of course, you're sanctified by the Father as your saints. You are preserved in Jesus. That word preserved is terio. You are standing with Jesus in your terio, and you're continuing to listen to the kaleo of the Spirit. Very different greetings, very different commissionings, and very different agenda, all pointing to the fact that Jude is saying as a pillar in the church, as a brother of Jesus, and as a brother of the guy who was in charge in Jerusalem, I've been working among all of you as a pillar here to keep you functioning in the common thing. But one thing you've got to remember and we cannot lose sight of is this commission of the saints. This is what Jude says very clearly here. Now, some people skip right through this and they don't see it. But it's there, and if you just open your eyes and look, you see it. Then what does Jude say? He starts talking about how this mission of doing exploits for God has been undone over the years. And he cites an example of the people of God that God brought out of Egypt. And yet, even though he miraculously brought them out to take the land and to, to achieve the kingdom, they were all destroyed. He mentions the angels who were serving God before the throne. And they got crossways in their thinking with God. And they began to do things that are, were terrible. And God not only took them out of their position as a reigning angel, but enslaved them. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and how God blessed those cities, but then he destroyed them. He talks about Satan and the contending that took place with Michael. He talks about Cain, and he talks about Balaam. Every one of those were instances of individuals or entities that were originally created to thrive and to triumph and to do exploits 
but because they lost sight of what their goal was from God and they abandoned their identity to seek after either iniquity or pride or lust or, or just laziness, whatever their, their, or with Cain, it was jealousy over his brother. With Balaam, it was money for, for prophecy. Every one of them abandoned the, the greater victory of being a mighty one, and they were destroyed. These are the illustrations that Jude gives after he says, I need to write to you about the commissioning given by God to the saints that is above and aside from the common faith. Warnings, he gives. And then at the very end, we come to the verses that, that, I, um, that I highlighted that should be up here. We're going to read them, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most hagias pistas, the saintly walk before the right hand of the throne of God, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the agape of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves, again, terio, in the agape. This is interesting. This is a commission for all of us. And I, this, uh, to be real direct about this, these two verses were what God kept bringing over and over again in my heart. And after, after I got these verses, then I started to recognize that I needed to say the things that I just did say to you. How do you maintain the saintly calling in your life? How do you maintain that mission that God has uniquely once delivered to you? Well, the first thing is you remember what Jude says and what so many other passages say and when, to the epistles and to uh, in some of the gospels passages that there is a distinct ministry that is above and beyond just existing in the church, as blessed as that is. And it is those that are called to do things of unusual service to God, the saints. And if you've embraced that, you've got to recognize that if the children of Israel who were commissioned to take the land fell, if Satan fell, if high-ranking angels fell, if Balaam fell, if Cain fell, if Sodom and Gomorrah with righteous lot fell, you got to watch that you don't also abandon course. So what do you do? You, first of all, recognize that that can happen, and you pledge in your heart, I'm not going to let anything keep me out of what God's called me to be. I'm not going to give place to... You know, I, I really think that Jude, opening up the book by talking about who he was briefly, was a statement that I also had to do this. You know, I was a brother of Jesus. I lived in that household. I saw what he did those years that I really wish I could go back and talk to Jude and say, hey, what happened in that household? What happened to Joseph? I'd like somebody to write about that, but none of them did. And that was by God's choice, so that's just me thinking. I mean, he could have stood up and said, I deserve to be 
counted among the great pillars. You all ought to acknowledge this. I'm a brother of Jesus. He doesn't say any of that, which is really something that all of us as saints have to do. We have to commit ourselves not to our ambition, but to what God has called us to be. We need to commit ourselves not to what other people advise we need to make as our five-year plan, but we need to say, this is what God's called me to be, and I'm going to be faithful in it. I'm not going to abandon where, what I am called to be because of something that I'd like to be, and I'm going to be faithful there. That's, that's the essential thing of Jude. And how often is it? How often is it in every one of these examples Jude cites and in so many others, we've seen that has been a death knell to anybody. They start getting ideas about how they're not being acknowledged or how I'm being held back or, you know, and, and you know, it's not me saying it, it's Jude saying it. You got an issue with it, bring it up with the word. So I think all of us need to look at our own selves and say, am I embracing what God has called me to do, what I know to do, to him that knoweth to do good and does it not, to him it's missing the mark. So often we stop doing what we know to do because we don't think that others are acknowledging what we want to do. You got to write that one down. So often we stop doing what we should do because we're aggravated that others aren't acknowledging what we want to do. And that's, that's a challenge. And Jude starts with that. But then he says that we need to keep on praying in the Spirit. We need to build ourselves up. Keep receiving the building blocks of our identity that God has ordained, his architectural, architectural plan for us. We need to keep receiving that instruction and build according to that, and the way you do it is praying in the Holy Ghost. And I want to, I want to exhort every saint that's listening to me to take account to how much you pray in the Spirit every day. Are you praying in the Spirit every day? You need to be not just mumbling a few words when you leap out of bed in the morning or fall out of bed, whichever the case may be, or when you're stopped at a red light and the person in front of you, you've already told them what they should have done and then you pray in the Spirit for a little bit. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. You need to be having time where you pray in the Spirit. You need to. I, I, think, I think sometimes we, we, kind of, we kind of try to, we schedule our romantic time with the Lord. Okay, Lord, you know, I'll be there on Sunday, and I'll pray then. And, you know, I'll be there 6 o'clock, and I'll pray then on Wednesday. And, you know, I'll pray on first Saturday. And we think that that's, if that's the way you romanticize in life, your, your romance is going to shrivel on the, on the vine and die. You don't need the Lord to prune it. It's going to die on its own. And with God... Our whole walk with him and praying in the spirit, yes, we should be praying during those times. Sunday night, we should be praying. But we should be praying every day. Paul said, I pray in the spirit more than any other, other ones in Corinth. It is essential for us to be strengthened 
uh, with all the other factors that happen when we pray in the Spirit, this one right here is so essential for us as an individual. We, in praying in the Spirit, allow us, our hearts, our lives to be aligned with the, the building up is the oikodome, the architectural plan of God, what He has created us to be, what He's created us to do, when He's created us to do it. And there's a strengthening, there's a galvanizing, there's an equipping that happens. And we must be doing this. How often over the years I've recognized the enemy tries to keep us from praying in the Spirit. And we used to say that, you know, this person left the worship team, and I should have known it because for, for the last year they haven't been praying. It's not me criticizing. We just know that it's not been happening. And, you know, there's a, there's a direct parallel with lack of praying in the Spirit uh, that, that almost causes somebody to begin to, to become weaker and weaker. So we have to, and nobody's going to monitor that. You know, I'm not going to show up at Ruby's house every morning and say, Ruby, you better pray in the Spirit today. I'm, gonna, I'm keeping track of you. Nobody can, nobody can do that but you before the Lord. So keep praying in the Spirit. Keep, keep praying, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the, in the Holy Ghost. And keep yourself in the love of God. Keep devoted to that agape, which is to do what's on God's heart. And through that, his mercy comes. Looking then for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, which will keep you going in this way throughout eternity. He will speak to you. We said mercy is receiving revelation from God receiving direction from God. And, you know, we have, in our coin A, we, we think mercy is just giving a dollar to somebody or helping somebody. We, that's benevolence. That's showing compassion. That's showing love. We have wrongly defined mercy as that. But throughout the Scripture, mercy is always positioning yourself to where you can hear from God and then follow His directives. Now, he may say to you, okay, see that guy over there? You need to go give him something. Well, that is a that's a distinct directive of mercy. But overall, mercy is just hearing from God. But you can't hear from God if you're not with God, if you're not spending time with God. So I felt this very strongly to give an exhortation to everyone that we need to be specifically spending time with God. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's 15 minutes in your schedule. But don't do it just as a, as a pass-by. Spend time with Him. Now, you may, you may want to get up a little earlier, go into another room and pray in the Spirit for an hour. Do what God says to you to do, but do something. And don't just pray in the Spirit as much as we appreciate you being here and doing it, when you come to church, every day be praying in the Spirit. And it'd be good if God, as He does with me, would start waking some of you up in the night to pray in the Spirit. I, I, I you know, 
I cherish that as much as it first was an irritation to me who said, Lord, I got to get up in an hour and a half. It's 3.30 in the morning. I'm getting up at 5. You know, I would say things like that, and then I repented because I knew that it was God that was making the call to me in the night. I don't want to be like the, the, the woman in the Song of Solomon who, whose lover was there with his hand in the door and said, oh, you know what, I can't get up out of bed. I just, I just washed my feet. I can't get up. How many of you wash your feet before you go to bed? <laughs> oh, man. But it's just an excuse. I don't want to meet with the Lord. And then I realize, what have I done? And I look for him, and I couldn't find him. Be sensitive and pour yourself out for, with, before God. Pray in the Spirit. Be built up and aligned, strengthened. And I really think that if we do that, it, it may not solve all of the issues that could come against us, shoot, you're still going to have to deal with pride. Look at the list here. You're going to still have to deal with the position God put you in. You're still going to have to, to, to decide that you're going to not just dwell there in your blessing like the people of God did, but you're going to go forth and take the land. You're still going to have to deal with jealousies and envies. You're still going to have to, to deal with like Balaam, you know, hey, man, I can do it this way or I can do it this way over here, and, man, I'll get some money for doing that. You're going to have to deal with that. You're still going to have to deal with what brought Lot to Sodom and Gomorrah. You're still going to have to deal with all of those things because those are things you've got to have to overcome. But here's the issue. If you're not strong, if, if you're not strengthened by the power of the Lord, if you're not constantly committed to him, when that kind of temptation comes to you, you're going to say, eh, why not? You're going to be so watered down with the things of this life and the things of the flesh that suddenly those things are going to feel like a pretty good deal. And the challenge is that the end result is you fail. And that's a minimum description, that you fail. To say that Cain fell is is a smallish description. To say that Lot fell is really not painting the whole picture. To say that Satan fell is not painting the whole picture. Say that the people of God missed the mark when they came out of Egypt, that's just kind of like a flowery book title. They just missed it. And they they not only missed out on the great blessing of partnering with God, but they fell. I don't want to miss it, and I don't want to fall. How about you? God, man, Pastor, you're preaching at us this morning. No, I'm really not. I'm exhorting you, and I'm, I'm admonishing you because God has given you a lot. To whom much is given, much is required. Don't fail in the mighty position God has allowed you to come to in him. Gird that up. Strengthen it. But you've got to be praying in the Spirit. And you've, you've got to be submitting yourself to God daily. Now, I know you know what's coming next. Well, Pastor, you just don't know my schedule. You don't know all the things I've got to do. I work from morning to late at night, and then the next day it's just a grind. It just wears me down. I've got to deal with this member of the family and that member of the family, and then I've got to do this. And I've got you, everybody's got to, let me get to see if there's a violin up here. We don't need to hear all the excuses. It reminds me of the old preacher that had everybody come up and put all their butts on the altar. 
You know, that's, that's a good old Bible school joke. <laughs> but I'm just saying we all have them. And um, we... <laughs> And we need to we need to just deal with it. <laughs> Debbie, would you go to the organ, please? Um, I would ask Tammy, but Dennis turns the pages, and he's not here today. Um, <clears throat> process that time every day, and I can tell you this. I speak to myself also. You'll go a whole lot farther and get a whole lot more done if you do carve out that 15, 20 minutes just to pray in the Spirit than you will if you devote all of your energy to that job that wears you out and that classroom of kids that could care less about being in class and doing their work or whatever the assignments that you have to face are. The most important thing you have is what God put you on this earth to do. And that's what you are sowing into for eternity. Let's cherish that. So, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And, Terio, keep yourself in the agape of God. Make it be your dwelling place as you continually look for what he will say to you in mercy and how he will direct you. And, um, and then, you know, he, he goes off then and says, of some have compassion, making a difference, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And then this wonderful verse, and I end with this. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. It's kratos and exousia, both now and forever. I think it's interesting, the, the glory, the opportunity to partner with God in his mission, majesty, to know the wonders of all that he would show there, kratos, to function in accordance with the power of what the throne has given you, and then you be an operative of his authority. That's how Jude ends this, both now and ever. This is not just for these next few years. It's for eternity. So we might as well start doing it right now. Amen? So pray in the Spirit. That's your assignment. And it's something that God just strongly urged me and, and urged me to tell you. Let's keep praying in the Spirit. It is a strengthen. It is, a, it is an illumination. It is, it is an alignment with what God put us on this earth to do. And it will help you in so many ways, not the least of which is to safeguard yourself from all of these examples of mighty ones that were called to do things, and they all fell. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I bless this people. I bless this wonderful group of folks that decided not to go on vacation but are here this morning. And I bless, <laughs> I bless all of our Saints Network family that's joining with us. Release your goodness to them in whatever city or state or nation they're in. Lord, it's a privilege to work with you. Let us have an unusual appreciation and sensing of your presence in this day 
and in the coming days. And may we obey by committing ourselves anew to seeking you every day, praying in the Spirit, waiting upon you, and listening to what you would say to us. We need that, Lord, and we commit to do it. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. And um, look at the time. It's just now 25 after 12. Isn't that great? See, the Lord healed you. You can just get to Luby's faster than everybody else. Thanks for being here. We'll see you tonight. God bless.